Welcome to English with Helen. I'm Helen, your English teacher, and in today's lesson we will be speaking with Fernando from Argentina on the topic of the sport squash. You can put yourself in his shoes with my corrections and explanations on grammar, vocabulary, pronunciation and interesting phrases. And of course you can practice your listening skills. In the second part of this podcast, you will receive further explanations from the conversation. Let's get started. Fernando, thank you for coming. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Can you explain why we chose the topic squash? We met through squash. Yes. We, met, we were playing squash some years ago in London at the yeah. same club, and, and that's how we met each other and became friends. Exactly. We met playing squash. Not everybody knows what squash is. If you were to explain to somebody who doesn't know, what is squash? Can you explain it? Squash is a racket sport. And I think the main difference with most racket sports is that instead of playing against your opponent on the other side of the court that is divided by a net, you both play hitting the ball against a wall and you both play on the same side of, of the yeah. wall. Yeah, exactly. And you can hit any wall? Uh, well, you need to hit the front wall, but in addition to that, if it hits other walls as well, it, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's quite a dynamic sport, right? That you can hit it onto any wall and then the ball kind of ricochets off all the different walls. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. Yeah, so you have a wide variety of shots if you, if you use all those angles. And also makes it quite intense because it's, it's perhaps more difficult to send the ball out than in other sports like tennis. So the points go on for longer. Exactly. That's the thing with tennis, isn't it? It's difficult to get the ball in. With squash, it's hit difficult to hit the ball out so the rally can go on and on and on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When did you start playing squash? Well, probably the first time I played was very long ago, but I started playing seriously when I was at university in the US for in the year 2006. What is it about that particular sport that you like so much? Many reasons. The sport itself, it's uh, physically demanding. You get a very good workout and it's always something that you keep improving and working out, improving your game. The other thing I love about squash is the community that usually is built around it. I played squash in many countries. In all, all of them, it's always a very pleasant experience, uh, yes. not only to play sport, but also meet a lot of people through it. I think sport in general is like that. I never do a sport because I want to make friends. I do it because I like the sport, but always as a side effect, I've had good friendships from the sports that I do. I think that's sport in general, and you can do it wherever you go. Yeah, although my other sports that I, I practice frequently is swimming. and. By the yeah, way, we normally say do sport. Practice is a bit more... Yeah, it sounds, sounds like a translation. Yeah, so the, the other sport I do <laughs> is, is swimming. And <laughs> I swim on my own, but I haven't met many people through swimming. Yes, it's true. If you're just going to the swimming pool and you just go up and down, you don't really chat to people on the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> is squash popular in Argentina? It this is popular. It has gone up and down, like in many other countries. So I think there was a bit of a heyday of squash in the 1980s, where it was very popular. And then probably a bit less popular. And then I think probably in recent years, 
it's become a bit more popular again. So okay. it's not it's not a mainstream sport, but I think yeah, it's a fair amount of people who, who play. Yeah. Because I do feel like it's not that popular around the world. When you tell people in different countries that you play squash, do they generally know or or not? It it depends. In in the UK, I think everyone yeah, would recognize the sport and some yeah. countries in Europe as well. I lived in the US for a while and in some areas of the country they would have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about vegetable. So <laughs> so yeah, it, it does depend where Could you go. <laughs> Yeah, I think the UK and Egypt, you know, a lot of the top players are Egyptian. Yeah, I think right now Egypt is for the, the most dominant country in the sport. I think Egypt now, by far, they have probably half of their top 10 players. And squash is very demanding. I mean, it's very physically demanding. You sweat a lot. Your heart rate goes up a lot. A lot of turns and stopping and starting. Have you had any injuries from squash? Actually, I got injured last year while playing squash, although I don't think it was fully because of the squash. My knee had been hurting for a while and and one day playing squash, I think it was like the last straw, finally tearing a meniscus since it wasn't my case. Yes. Uh, Did you hear it tear? I didn't hear it. I felt it. I felt like suddenly the, the, the knee was getting sort of locked or like something was a bit out of place and um but it, yeah it was immediately clear that i couldn't continue playing i was struggling to walk so i think you can get injured but if you learn how to play properly and learn proper movement and and you don't do anything too abrupt i think you can play for many years and without being injured yeah and i think it's always again with every sport a case of warming up well and warming down well yeah, exactly. And learning how to move, you know, there's a lot of lunging, but if people who play this sport really well are very smooth. Well, you don't do, do so well, sometimes you feel like you're running, you're, you're sort of hitting hard on, on, on the ground. And I think that's the difference between the top level players and club players. When you watch them, it's just the economy of movement. For them, it's just so easy. It looks so easy anyway. And as well, the touch that they put on the ball. I, I feel like club players often just smash everything really hard, whereas the top level players, they place the ball really well as well. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Those, both things. And so, so I think professional players and also enthusiasts that like the sport a lot, they practice the movement. So essentially there's, there's a limited number of places you, you normally go in the course. So you can basically memorize the steps. It's essentially six or eight different patterns that you do from the center of the court. So if you memorize the steps, then you don't have to think about them while you're playing and you always get them right. Yes. And I think once you reach a high level, you realize most shots, your opponent is going to get them back. So you really need to work uh, of getting them slowly, gradually out of position. And, and usually that comes more out of deception than brute force and, and you need to try yeah. variety slowly yeah. building your points and that's where you get the opportunity to hit a winner yeah did i ever beat you i can't remember <laughs> i maybe. do remember i didn't beat you you were way better than me <laughs> no 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 definitely not well you couldn't lie to me <laughs> I, I, I would not have remember would you say squash is your favorite sport yeah i think so i really like watching squash as well we're watching professional okay. squash 
Yeah, not many people I do. Feel, no, it's not a spectator sport, really. Well, I think it's come a long way. I think historically it was very difficult to film it. Now, between a combination of court and ball technology and with high definition, you get you know, good shots, good camera angles, also because the courts are 100% made of glass. So mm. you can have all these different angles. So I, th I think now you can make it look quite good. But you say there are all those different angles, but compared to a sport like tennis, where you have so many variations of the angles of the bounce and the topspin and the slice and different heights, I feel like in squash, it's not really that varied. You want to get it in the back corner in a position that they can't get it back or up and down the wall or boasts. I mean, there aren't really that many variations. Yeah, perhaps in terms of shots, but I think there are variations in other dimensions. For example, I, I, I'm not a tennis player. And one of the things I notice when I watch tennis is that most of the movement of the players is sideways. I think squash, it's more, you go backwards and forwards all the time. So rather than just sideways, it's really going forwards and then backwards. You can mm. really you know, travel the whole area of the court, <laughs> the different corners many times before the point is over. So, sure. so I think, yeah, in terms of shot and spin, it's not a big thing in, in squash. It's not that useful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They're, yeah. they're different. They're different. They're, they're, they're different things to, to, to watch, I think. And everyone has their preference. Okay. Thank you for speaking with me about squash. And I hope anyone who wants to get into a sport might want to try. Why not? Why not? Your listeners can learn English and maybe learn about a new sport that they should try. At least yeah. to see how it is. Yeah, it's fun. It is a fun sport. We're going to take a quick break, but make sure you come back for the second half for further explanations. If you'd like to dive deeper into the themes of today's lesson, go to www.englishwithhelen.com where you can access the transcription of this episode along with further explanations and practice, and also a short story putting everything you've learned back into a context. Welcome back to the second part, where we will look a little further at some language points from the conversation with Fernando. I said, if you were to explain to someone who doesn't know, what is squash? If you were to, this is second conditional, an unreal present or future. It's a variation of a normal second conditional. A normal second conditional would be, if you won the lottery, hypothetically, it's an imaginary situation, if you won the lottery, we use the past won, win, won, won, if you won the lottery. We use the past not because we're talking about the past, but because it's an imaginary situation. It's not a real situation. You're not going to win the lottery. You haven't bought a ticket. It's impossible. But if you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? Would is hypothetical. What would you do? What would you plus verb do? 
all together. If you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? Now, a variation on this is, if you were to win the lottery, what would you do with the money? This is really common and we often switch between them. This is a typical conversation you might hear. If you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? If I won the lottery, I would buy a house. If I won the lottery, I would buy a house. If you were to buy a house, where would you buy it? Hmm, if I were to buy a house, I would buy it in Valencia. Another example. If you had more time, remember we use the past for imaginary situations. So, have had, had. If you had more time, now, the meaning is now or in the future. If you had more time, in general, now. If you had more time, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? Would and the verb are in the other half of the sentence. A mistake that a lot of people make is to put would in the if half of the sentence. This is wrong. We don't use would in the if part of the sentence, apart from in a few exceptions. So we say, if you had more time, what would you do with it? If I had more time, I would read more. If you were to read more, what would you read? If I were to read more, I would read more novels. Notice in conditional sentences, we use were with I or with he. If he were to read more. If I were to read more. If he were to read more. In other languages, this would be a subjunctive. In English, it's like a subjunctive. It's not the normal way of structuring the sentence after I or he. For an imaginary situation, if I were to read more, I would read more novels. So my question to Fernando again was, if you were to explain to someone who doesn't know, what is squash? Ricochet. R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T. Ricochet. I said the ball kind of ricochets off all the different walls. This is a French word that we use in English, meaning bounce or rebound. The ball hits the wall and goes off in another direction. It ricochets off the walls. The spelling is R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T, ending in the letter T. Because it comes from the French, we don't pronounce the T. Similar words that come from the French that have a T at the end that we don't pronounce. Ballet. B-A-L-L-E-T. 
In the last conversation with Danilo, I said the life of a ballet dancer is tough. The life of a ballet dancer is tough. In other languages, people pronounce the T at the end. But in English, we try to sound French and we don't pronounce the T. Another word, chalet, like a house. A house in the mountains, a chalet. C-H-A-L-E-T. Ricochet, ballet, chalet. Do sports. Fernando said practice sports. And like he said, it sounds like a translation from Spanish. We do sports. We play tennis, we play squash, we play football. We go skiing, we go swimming, we go hiking, or we ski, we swim, we hike. We do boxing, we do judo or other martial arts, or we box. You can't judo. (laughs) That's not possible. You do judo. You can't karate. You do karate. And we do sports. Practice means to practice a particular aspect of that sport. So, if you swim, you can practice your strokes. If you do boxing or if you box, you can practice your jab. Or with squash, you can practice the movements. Fernando used this correctly. He said, practice the movements. I think professional players and also enthusiasts that like the sport a lot, they practice the movements. Could have, would have. When I asked Fernando, did I beat you? He said he didn't remember. And then I admitted I did remember. And I didn't beat him. And he said, well, you could have lied to me. I would not have remembered. Well, you could have lied to me. (laughs) I, I would not have remembered. You could have lied. I would not have remembered. These are the past of could and would. The structure is the modal verb, for example, could or would or should or might or may, plus have, plus the third verb. Listen to the present and then the past. Present, I could lie. Past, I could have lied. Present, I wouldn't remember. Past, I wouldn't have remembered. Let me give you the present, a present sentence, and you give me the same sentence in the past. Present, I should go, it's getting late. In the past, I should have gone, it was getting late. Present, I could help you. In the past, I could have helped you. Present, I would like to meet him. In the past, 
I would have liked to meet him. That's all for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact me through my website at www.englishwithhelen.com. See you next time.